Thank you, music team. This morning, we would turn with me to Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles. We're going to continue our series on the vision and values of Cornerstone. So as you're turning to the scripture in Acts 2, I also want you to, for a moment, look at the front of your bulletin. This is just a reminder for us of who we are and, and what we're about. These things that we'll be exploring over in the next few weeks. It says that we're a community of believers devoted to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that our values that flow from that are worship, discipleship, care, and missions and outreach. And this morning, as we look at Acts chapter 2 again, and as we continue this series, we're going to be focusing on that first phrase, really. That we're a community of believers. Which implies the question, well, what is it that we believe? So what we're going to see this morning as we look at Acts 2 is, like the early church, we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that He has done for us. And that is what brings us together as God's people. That is what unites us as a church. So let's read from Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verses 42 through 47. We're going to focus in on a phrase in verse 44. And then later in the sermon, we'll look at some other parts of Acts chapter 2 and Peter's sermon to kind of flesh this out a little bit. So this is God's word from Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is good news. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the early church that we see documented here in Acts chapter 2. We thank you for how your spirit has been at work in your church throughout the ages, that we do not stand alone. Uh, that we stand shoulder to shoulder and arm in arm with believers around the world, uh, but also believers throughout history. Generations and generations of those who have claimed the name of Christ and have trusted in Him by faith. So we pray this morning that you would remind us of the good news of the gospel, that Christ came and gave Himself for us, and that you would Work in us by your spirit to love and to encourage and lift up one another as we walk together with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in seminary, one of my classmates and friends preached a sermon in preaching class. And the sermon was entitled, That One Thing. And in that sermon, he used an illustration from the movie City Slickers which is an early 90s 
movie. I can't necessarily recommend it for everybody, but it's just one of those old comedies. It's just kind of silly. But the main, the main point of the story is that Billy Crystal plays a character who's just kind of going through a hard time, kind of going through his, his crisis, as it were. And he and a couple of friends leave New York City and go out on a two-week cattle drive out west. And as part of this cattle drive, they're trying to go find basically some purpose and meaning in life for Billy Crystal's character. Along the way, they meet an old rancher named Curly, who's played by Jack Palance. And he advises Billy Crystal's character to find that one thing, to find that one overarching purpose to kind of make his life go and give his life meaning. And that phrase, the one thing, becomes the driving force throughout the rest of the story as they try to figure out what it is. In the sermon my friend preached, of course, talked about how we had a greater purpose because we actually know the one thing, and that that is Christ. My friend who preached this sermon was from Liberia, and he had not been in America all that long, so I asked him the question after his sermon. I said, hey, when did you see the movie City Slickers? He said, oh, I haven't seen it. I just read the back of the box at Blockbuster. (laughs) That shows how old we are, I guess. But this week as I was getting ready for this sermon, I thought about that phrase, the one thing. And it's not in the sense of a personal quest of going out and driving some cattle out west, but in the sense of the church. What, what is the one thing that the church is about? What is the one thing that kind of drives all the other things? What is the overarching thing that brings us together as the local body of Christ, but also brings together the church in all places and times generations and ages. So we look at what we see here in Acts chapter 2. There's a phrase we want to kind of zero in on this morning. And that's at the beginning of verse 44. It says, all who believed were together. So we ask the question, well, what is it that they believed? What is it that brought them together? We consider all this happened leading up to this in Acts chapter 2. The, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Peter's preaching about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. He's talking about the forgiveness of sins and he calls for the people to repent of their sins, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, what brought them together is they believed the good news of the gospel. They were brought together by that one thing. All that Jesus had done for them. Who Jesus was. His life, death, and resurrection. They come together because the Holy Spirit had worked in their hearts to respond to this wonderful news that Jesus had come, that He had lived, that He had died on the cross for their sins, that He had rose again. This, this morning, this sermon basically has one point. And that's where, that we want to talk about how does this unity in the gospel, how does this believing the same thing together, where does that come from? How does it work for the church? And so the one point we want to look at this morning is this. The gospel unity comes from hearts turned towards God by the work of the Holy Spirit through the faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I'll say that one more time. Gospel unity comes from hearts turned toward God by the work of His Spirit through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> 
we begin to see this laid out for us in Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. And So let's look at a few highlights from there. If you just kind of look up in the passage, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. It says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Of course, that's referring to Jesus' life, right? As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up to, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless man. There's Jesus' death. And God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And there's Jesus' resurrection. So Peter's proclaiming to them, first and foremost, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Moving on, Acts chapter 2, verse 31 and 33. says, says this, He, he being David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And then verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter is preaching these things to them. He's He's focused on the life and death and resurrection and the exaltation of Christ. And their response to it is this, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they asked the apostles, what what shall we do? They had seen and heard and felt the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. It opened their hearts to believe in Jesus who lived and died and was raised for them. Then we fast forward a little bit in our passage, and we we read this in verse 44, that all who believed were together. And you might kind of think, kind of looking at this on the surface, well, that's nice, you know, wasn't that just kind of a, I don't know, an emotional response to the whole Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, rock concert thing that was going on, and everybody's kind of all fired up, and, you know, isn't, don't they just kind of go back to normal after a few days? What we find is that this response of being cut to the heart, this response to the gospel, led to a change of life collectively for God's people. A life change that was rooted in the gospel. That they devoted themselves continually to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That they cared for one another by sharing what God had given them and meeting others' needs. They worshiped together, praising Him for all that He had done. You see, this just wasn't just kind of a one-time thing. This was a continual application of what God had set aflame in their heart as they had believed the gospel. We see it continue later in the book of Acts. If you look at Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 33, it says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. 
Yesterday, I went through a moment of confusion, and y'all are going to have to help me here. Uh, I was checking updates about a football game in the middle of April. It's true. Uh, it was Clemson's spring football game yesterday, the orange versus white game. They split the players evenly, and they go out and play a game against each other. And I, I just did, don't know how to handle that. I mean, is it a win-win? Is it a lose-lose? I'm not really sure. When, when, who do you cheer for when one team scores? And what, what happens when the defense makes a great play? Was it good for them? Was it a bad throw by the quarterback? What, what is it? I, I still don't understand. And part of it is because it's hard because, you know, feel, you know, feel with me for a minute here. It's difficult. It's a struggle. Because um, what, what I really long for is to see a team united, right? To see a team go out and pursue the same goal together to wear the same jerseys, to rally around the common cause, and to go get that championship. We'll see about that, though. But we think about something like that, and we, we think about the, the concept of unity and what it means to rally together and come around the common purpose. And when we see in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, that the believers were of one heart and soul, when we read that, we just want to cheer. When it says in Acts 2.44 that all the believers were together, we, we rejoice. And then we all also ask the question, well, how, how did they get there? And how do we get there as the body of Christ? The response of the people to what they had witnessed and heard proclaimed to them in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, going back again to Acts chapter 2, verse 37, is that it cut them to the heart. They had been confronted personally with the reality that it was not just a few politicians or religious leaders that had crucified Jesus, but that they had crucified Jesus as well. It was their sin that was being dealt with at the cross. Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, whom you crucified. And it pierced them. Cut them to the heart. Because all of a sudden, their need for the saving grace of the Jesus that they had crucified was put right in front of them. So they're, they're asking questions. Well, what do we do now? And the answer comes back, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So the beginning of gospel unity, of a heart turns toward, turn toward God, is this recognition of our sinful condition, of our own brokenness, and owning that the Son of God suffered, and He was crucified on the cross, and it was for our sins. And we're called to repent. We're called to turn from our sins, to turn even from our own efforts to deal with our sin ourselves. And to turn to God who graciously forgives us of our sins. Who calls us to himself. Those who are far off. Those who had wandered away from him. He calls us to himself through the work of the Holy Spirit. Through the work of Christ on our behalf. And he bids us to follow him. And what this does for us. It helps us see God and 
see ourselves and see others differently. It, it levels us. And it leads to humility. Because we see the enormity of our sin. The things we have done that we ought not to have done. The things that we failed to do that we should have done. Our thoughts, our words, our actions. We see all that laid out in front of us. And then we see that God, not because of anything good in us, but because He loves us. He extends grace and mercy to us. We see Him sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to come and to stand in our place, to die on the cross for our sins, to forgive us of our sins, to reconcile us to God. And we say, who am I that God would do such a thing? We sing how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He would send His only Son to make a wretch like me His treasure. Why would we hold on to pride? Why would we cling somehow to self-sufficiency? Because it's not going to cut it. The glorious news of the gospel is this. That as bad as our sins may be, God's grace is is as good as it gets. And that He has done everything necessary to secure our salvation in Christ and through Christ. And it brings us to the place where our response is to be cut to the heart, to repent of our sins, to trust in Jesus, to receive and rest in the forgiveness of sins, by the work of the Holy Spirit, to be humbled, to worship, to praise God for His amazing grace. The Apostle James is not one to mince words. and In James chapter 4, he, he really brings this home. He highlights the reality of our sin problem and then the need for humble repentance says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, that you desire and do not have, so you murder? You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Are you dis- do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? But then verse 6, But He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Friends, it is such humility that leads to gospel unity. That we stand together as the body of Christ because we recognize our common need for the grace of God in Jesus. And we rejoice that He has secured our salvation through His life, death, and resurrection. That we've received forgiveness for our sins, that the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us, and that the promises of God are true. This is what we see here in Acts, and it's true of us as well, that this gospel is the one thing that binds us together before all other things. In 1 Corinthians 15, 
Paul calls the gospel that which is of first importance to the Christian. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. There's a phrase that's been used in certain places in times in the past, and the phrase goes something like this, doctrine divides and service unites. Or maybe doctrine divides and love unites. And it's understandable that some would see things that way. There certainly have been times when the church has fought inward battles that haven't been pretty. And it's true that bad doctrine can be divisive. And if we elevate things to first importance aside from Christ, then often division is quick to follow. But friends, good doctrine, like what we have in Acts chapter 2, that's echoed out through all the scriptures, what Paul calls the things of first importance, that Jesus lived and died and has been raised for us and our sins need forgiveness, that God has in His amazing grace and wisdom loved us with an everlasting love and called us to Himself. That the Holy Spirit is at work in us, that we must repent of our sins and believe in Jesus. Friends, this this doctrine unites. It brings us together because the gospel is a flame in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is at work. We walk together, humbled by His grace, following Jesus as one people. The catechism we read earlier expresses this so well. What is true faith? True faith is not only a knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in His Word is true, but it's a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the Gospel that out of sheer grace earned for us by Christ, and I love this, not only others, but I too. Did you, did you catch that earlier? Not only others, but I too have had my sins forgiven have been forever made right with God, and have been granted salvation. And then the catechism goes on to explore the Apostles' Creed and all that the church believes. This gospel is what led the believers in Acts to to be together, to continually devote themselves to the teaching of God's Word, to fellowship, to worship, to prayer, to caring for one another, even to the point that they did not see their stuff as their own, but shared and gave generously to those in need. In the weeks to come, Wilson's going to talk more about what that looks like. And as uh, one of the upcoming sermons will be about caring for one another as God's people. And one of the things that's amazed me uh, in every place I've been, really, is that God's people are generous. And it flows from knowing that God gave everything to us and that He loves us. And that, so, therefore, we give and we, we love others. And, I've seen people share with those in need, and I think back to, there's an older couple at our church in Asheville, and uh, they just kind of showed up in our life, and at a time when our kids were small, and our kids were small, and life was overwhelming like every day, and they, they show up, and they're doing things like, hey, give us all your laundry, because we're going to take it to our house, and then they have these like giant, you know, laundromat-style washers and dryers in their house. And then it would magically appear next day at our house. Done. Okay. That is love, right? Um, that is giving. Why, why, do, why do people do such things? 
Um, it's because of the gospel. It's because they were gripped by God's love for them in such a way that they couldn't help but go sacrificially love others. And that's our prayer this morning for us, that we would continue together as one body to be gripped by the love of Christ in such a way that we would care for one another, that we would have our hearts turned toward God in repentance, humbly receiving His grace, united by faith in Jesus Christ, worshiping God together, caring for one another, being the church as God has called us to be. Over the next few years, a lot's going to change for Cornerstone. Lord willing, we may be changing locations. New people will come. New ministry opportunities and partnerships will arise. Kids will grow up and go to college and beyond, but not too fast. Right? A lot of things will change. But what will keep us together is the unified commitment to that which never changes. And that's the good news of the gospel. The good news that we join together professing with the church in Acts 2 and the church throughout the ages and the church around the world. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. This is good news. Let's, let's pray and thank God for it. Father, we thank you for Jesus who lived and died and rose again for us. We thank you that the gospel is true for for us, that we can rest in the reality that our sins, as real as they are, have been really and truly forgiven through the work of Christ. We thank you for the work of your Spirit that brings us together, that we can stand uh, as different as we, we are um, individually, that we can stand together, uh, united by faith in Christ. And so we pray that you would, this week, be at work in us, surprise us, uh, show us what you're doing uh, in our own hearts, in the hearts of this church, others in this church, and and what you're doing throughout the rest of the body of Christ in our community and worldwide, that we would rejoice uh, that you were at work. And we pray that you would help us now as we respond, uh, as we sing together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.